If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open them to Proverbs chapter 9, verse nearby. If you don't own a Bible, if you didn't bring it this morning, just lift your hand up, and one of our ushers will be glad to put a hand in your Bible, or put a Bible in your hand. I don't know what our ushers are capable of, so I don't want to put them in a box. I don't know what they can and can't do. If you don't own a Bible, please consider that our gift to you. Write your name in it. Take it home. That is your Bible. Um, If you just have a Bible in the car, just forgot to bring it, just leave it in the seat, and we'll get it from you later. Um, We are going to continue um, our series through the book of Proverbs by taking a moment of pause. Um, We've been talking a lot about the practical realities of God's wisdom and God's words for us. Jesus is more than a Savior. He is our Lord. And so he gets to say how we live our lives, how we order our lives. And so you've heard sermons about how we should use the words, how we should engage our emotions. You're going to hear sermons about family life and death and life and how we are to live in this world until Jesus returns. And all those things are good and all those things are true. And as I was Christian instruction on how we should then live. But as I was praying and thinking through the sermon for this week, and where we're going next, the next topic of conversation, felt the Lord stirring that we should maybe take a pause and remember who it is we're talking about and what it is that drives us to obedience. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It won't be on the screen, so please look in your Bibles. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is a verse that if you've been paying attention for the last several weeks, you have heard us come back to time and time again. And as I was preparing and thinking through, I think sometimes we might be missing what this verse is actually saying. Some of us see this as a so don't just hear, be good with money, Use your, choose your words wisely, love your family well. Why? Because the first step is to fear the Lord and to know the Lord and then do those things. And that is true, but that's not all this verse is saying. The question that was racking my mind and my heart is, what does it mean to know God? If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, if knowing God is a prerequisite to understanding what God has to say to us, then how do we know that we know God? That's what I want to talk about today. You see, my own story of salvation is I knew much about God before I actually knew God. And even today, although I've been walking with the Lord, a blood-bought saint, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, amen? There's still a tension that drives me towards knowing about God rather than knowing God. And so today, my one and only point today is Jesus. John chapter 14 a familiar scripture in context. Jesus is talking about that he is going to die, telling his disciples again that he is going to die, but also encouraging them to take heart, that although he's going away, he's actually going away to prepare a place for them. In verse 6 of John chapter 14, it says, Jesus told him, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. But this is the question that stuck out to me. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father. And that's enough for us. Can you imagine standing in front of Jesus saying, God, show us the Father? Because Jesus just said what Proverbs just said, that you've got to know God in order to him. And verse 9 answers the question, but also prompting some rightful conviction. Have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So the same question that we find in Proverbs chapter 9, we find in John chapter 14, and the answer is the same as well. How do we know the Father? Jesus. Jesus. When I say that name, what comes to your mind? Jesus. The path to salvation, maybe. Children's stories growing up. And the songs, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What comes to your mind? And the challenge today is hopefully what comes to your mind as a person, not an idea. Hopefully what comes to your mind is not a set of propositional truths, but a person that you are walking with day by day. Not a person that you're seeking to please and serve, but someone who's actually living his life through you. Today I want to remind us about Jesus. To know God is to know Jesus, and it's not about knowing about Jesus, it's about knowing Jesus. And that is the distinction that we get often so wrong, not just as unbelievers and believers, but even as believers, there's an allure to learning things, isn't there? All my theology nerds, there's an allure to learning more about God and unpacking deep, profound spiritual truths and parsing Greek and Hebrew letters and knowing all the facts of the Bible. And that's not a bad thing, but that's not the same as knowing Jesus. All the things that you're asked to do, you read your Bible every day, you go to church and you serve and you give and you're nice to most people most of the time, and you try to do your best. I would submit to you today that that's not knowing Jesus either. To know Jesus is not to you live a life that pleases God, but for him to live his life through you. And it's such a fine distinction that before we talk about the book of Proverbs, before we talk about more about what God calls you to, I need to remind you who he called you to. That it's not just about living biblical principles. It's not just about doing the right thing. It's about knowing God the Father by knowing Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Paul giving instructions to the church, he says, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Dignity. Now, Paul here is giving instructions to the church about how to pray and who to pray for. 
And if you come to our prayer and worship night, we will hopefully model this paradigm because God decides what we pray for, so he gets the final say. But then look at the turn in verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior. Now we're talking about not what God wants from you, but God being revealed, says verse 4, God who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. There is no other way to be saved except for knowing and have a relationship with the man, Christ Jesus. But that's so hard, isn't it? All the time. And so activity is oftentimes what holds us by, if we're honest. Just doing the Christian things that we know to do, kind of living on spiritual autopilot until Jesus shows back up. Maybe I'm just talking about me. That's okay. And so we fill our Christian lives with good things, with righteous activity, serving and giving and doing and loving and being, all the while not feeling that Jesus is anywhere near us, all the while feeling empty and asleep spiritually. And let me encourage you by saying it is grace from God himself that you keep doing the good things. That's not a bad thing. The, peop- the person who says, man, I, you know, sometimes I don't pray because I don't feel like it. And so when I don't feel like it, I don't pray because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Like, that's just rebellion. Like, even if you don't feel like it, do it because God, your king, says to do it. Or than just doing the righteous things. Do you actually, be- actually believe and have a relationship with the man, Jesus Christ? Do you actually believe that, that he can walk with you, live through you, speak to you on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis? Do you believe that? Because without that, there is no salvation. It didn't say there is no mediator between God and man except the Bible, except morning devotions, except tithes and offerings, except in these you serve on a team. There is no other way to God except through him. So all the good things are good. All the righteous things are righteous. They are just not him. Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. Jesus is more than propositional truth. Jesus is more than just things we believe or don't believe. He is a person and he is alive. And the only only way we know is that he's alive in us. It's not information that saved. It's relationship with him that saves. Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. I'm going to read the whole thing. In him, who we're talking about? Let's try it again. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Amen. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, if that was all Colossians had to say about Jesus, that would be enough, amen? That would be enough. Have you ever stopped and taken account of your sins? Have you stopped and done that recently? I, I, do this one day. Sit down with a pen and paper and look over the last 48 hours of your life and just write down 
every thought, every desire, everything that you did that was contrary to God's will for your life. Your life. And if we could even see our sin rightly, we would have volumes of sin every single day. So there's no reason why we call it good news that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, plural. Every day we have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. Every day we have new mercies and new grace. And that's good news because we need it every single day. But then he goes on to say that he is the image of the invisible God. Once again, the answer that Proverbs chapter 9 and John 14 was asking, he is the visible, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of overall creation. For everything that was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him who? Jesus hold all things together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Dwell in who? Jesus. And through him, who? Through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you think the Bible is making a big deal out of Jesus? Yes. Why? Because there's no other hope outside of having a relationship with Jesus. There's no other name by which men may be saved other than Jesus. There's no hope for our redemption of our sins other than Jesus. And it's not just the door, it's the path of life that we walk on. Jesus isn't just how you get saved, it's how you stay saved every day. That's what it means to know Jesus. The question that I asked myself this morning was, God, do I know him? Not whether I'm saved. Do I know him? Not just the facts about him. And I'm not picking a side. I'm not going to go there. We can talk about race and politics, but sports is where we draw the line. <laughs> Some things we just don't do. But it's, it's interesting to me just the, the encyclopedic knowledge that people have about sports figures. I mean, I, I don't know if you have ever heard a conversation in the barbershop or wherever you hear these conversations. I mean, people going back and forth decades to the, this final, game six of this final, you know, this game 10 years ago. I mean, they are quoting statistics as if their life depended on it, trying to decide who's better, MJ or LeBron. But it's funny, those same people have struggled understanding and memorizing the Bible, though. But amen, amen. That's another sermon. That's another sermon. That was free. That was free. Unrelated. But the reality is, as much as they know about Michael Jordan and LeBron, they don't know Michael Jordan and LeBron. They don't know. They've watched all the 30 for 30s. They've read all the books. They watch ESPN Sports and all that. They know all the things about them, but they don't. Stops knowing about Jesus. It stops just shy of getting to know him. But unlike Michael Jordan and LeBron, Jesus actually wants us to know him. If you try to knock on Michael Jordan's door, you'll probably get shot. He's got all the friends he needs. He's good. But Jesus actually has revealed himself in who? Jesus. 
He wants to be known. God, remember the, the, the Our Father prayer? Our Father who are in, hallowed be thy name, right? So by nature, God is inaccessible to us. Who can peer into heaven? Anybody? Who can know God if he's there, if he's holy, which by its definition means other than, separate from? God is not like us. So everything that we know about God, aside from Jesus, is he is unknowable. He's unapproachable. And if it stayed that way, we would die in our sins and be condemned rightfully to hell. But Jesus has revealed God because God actually wants to be known. He wants to have a relationship with us. He sent his son so that he would be knowable, so that his unapproachable light would be shined bright in our hearts. He appointed men to write down the very words of God and preserve them through fire and famine and persecution so that we would have a holy word to know the mind and thoughts of God as much as we can know. We're talking about a God who wants to be known, and yet most of us don't know. We know the verses, we know the theology, we know the things we're supposed to agree with and things we're supposed to disagree with. But if we're honest, we struggle to actually know him. And I'm not even talking about unbelievers right now. I'm talking about God's people. We stop just short of knowing him because we feel like the facts are enough. Known. And we stop just short of a God who wants to be known through Jesus. Turn me to Ephesians chapter 5. You see, every once in a while, I spend so much time in the Bible that I miss God. I spend so much time, I'm talking about me now, I'm not talking about you. I spend so much time in the Bible that I miss him. And the sad part is that doesn't even bother me. Because I got my Bible study that I got to teach. I got the lesson that I got to teach. I got the sermon prepared that I got to preach. The things that people depend on me to do, I can do. And you do that for long and knowing God. And you do that for long enough, Christian, and you will feel like your spirit has gone asleep. Vigor, like it's not dead. You're still alive. You still feel sparks of vigor. You still get excited about the right things at the right time. Certain songs can touch and pierce your heart. But Monday through Saturday, you feel like you're just going through the motions asleep. And what do we do, church? When we're doing the right things, we're, we're still doing our devotional, we're still doing our, our reader plan, we got the Old Testament plan, the New Testament plan, the chronological plan, we got to serve on Sunday, we're doing all the things, but we still feel like we are sleeping at the wheel of our spiritual lives. Just grateful that we haven't wrecked yet. Just grateful that we haven't gone off a cliff yet. Just grateful that we haven't, you fill in the blank, yet. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this light versus darkness, good and evil. Darkness is sometimes simply talked about living rightly and living wickedly. 
If you're living in the light, then you're living right. If you're living in the dark, then you're living in sin. Some of us have oversimplified that truth, and that's not exactly what it means. That's not exactly what it means. Living in the light doesn't just mean that you're doing the right things, and living in darkness doesn't mean that you're doing the wrong things. Living in darkness means you are asleep. It means you're asleep. Where do I get that from? Verse 13. It says, everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And some of us, that's our word for the day. Get up, arise, O sleeper, and let the light of Christ shine on you. You see, the, the light isn't good things. The light is Jesus. And that's the light that he's inviting us to walk in, to live in, to enjoy forever, is Jesus. Not just righteousness, but he who was righteousness. Jesus. And so the invitation today is to him. Maybe not to get saved, but maybe to wake up. Maybe you got saved years ago, but you've been asleep ever since. Maybe there was a time in your life where you felt the vigor and the vitality of God's presence moment by moment, but now it's been a long time since you felt that way. It's been a long time since you opened up the pages of Scripture and something actually grabbed your heart. And maybe you're not a sinner like me who just keeps pressing and keeps teaching and keeps working because that's, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. I teach two or three Bible studies every single week. Every single week, ministry training program, sermons on Sunday, guests preaching at other places, teaching at workshops and conferences. So maybe that's not a big of a problem. But for me, I'm in the Bible all the time. But it's been a while since I've seen Jesus there. You have a question, I can probably answer it. You have a book recommendation, I've probably read it. If you want to parse Greek and Hebrew languages, that's fun for me. Let's do it. That's, we can nerd out on all the facts and statistics, just like the people in the barbershop talking about Michael Jordan and LeBron. We can do that all day long, but we will leave that barbershop, leave that conversation, not actually knowing them, but knowing all about them and feeling satisfied in the facts that we have. Do we know Jesus? And is that true today the same way it was years ago? Are we living lives for him, as a great pastor friend of mine says, or are we instead letting his life live through us? And that's, that, that makes all the difference, church. The only difference between legalism and holiness is why you do it. On the outside, they look exactly the same. But what makes the difference is why you do it. The Pharisee does it to earn favor with God. The righteous person does, be, does it because he's already earned favor with God. Because Jesus is already at work in him, prompting new desires and new affections and new behaviors. But on the outside, it all looks the same, doesn't it? And for some of us, we've been so in church for so long that we've been asleep at the wheel and nobody notices because we still do the stuff. We don't curse nobody out at our job. We even share the gospel, talking to other people about how good, how good Jesus is. But while we're talking, those words are hollow. While we're sharing, our hearts are asleep. 
while we're at work for him, he seems so far from us. And what I'm offering you today, because the word is offering it today, is you don't have to live like that. You don't have to settle there, Christian. You can actually know him who died and was raised to life and now is seated at the right hand of the Father, but also is now living in you by the power of the Spirit. Do we hold on to that truth or are we satisfied with our daily devotion? And if we're honest, maybe sometimes we don't want to know him because we feel like Jesus would disrupt our lives a little too much. Maybe we have lived a life that was fully devoted to him, that was alive with passion with him, and we didn't like the direction that that was headed. To self-sacrifice and devotion, losing friends and relationships, spending more money on things that don't make your life softer and happier. And you didn't like the way that was going, so you took the turn. But for many of us, I, I feel like we, we want God. I feel like there's lots of men and women and children who want to know him. Feel like, where are you, God? Or is this it? Is it just going through the motions, calling it obedience and righteousness? Should we be satisfied with this? I would submit to you today, church, no, don't be satisfied there because we have a God who wants to be known, who wants to let his life live through you, not so that you can do more stuff, but so that you and him could be in relationship together. James 2 says that you believe that God is one good, even the demons believe. You believe the right doctrine and theology, good. The demons do too. You believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day, good. The demons were there. Knowing those things to be true doesn't make you a Christian. Knowing Jesus. You don't have to know everything to have a relationship with him. That's good news for most of us, but for some of us, it's bad news because that's all you've held on to for years as I know all the right things to say yes to in the Bible. I believe these things to be true, although I've never experienced the presence power of God in my life because I believe the right things, I have the right theology, I go to the right church, I read the right version of the Bible, I'm okay with God. And that's not it, saints. But once again... On the outside, it looks exactly the same as someone who's living a life thriving with Christianity. Just like the Pharisee and the man trying to live holy, it looks on, on the same on the outside. And so maybe no one will notice, no one will tell that you actually don't know Jesus because you know so much about him. Surely you know Jesus. What I'm saying today is don't let pride keep you from repentance and faith today. Don't let the fact that you've been attending church for years and you're afraid to ask the question because you feel like you should know the answer to that question already. Don't let that keep you from knowing Jesus today. I know all the stuff about him. I teach it all the but I don't have a moment-by-moment, day-by-day relationship with him. That's what God is calling us to. It's Jesus. Who saved you, church? Jesus. Who's going to continue that good work that he started? Jesus. Who is the mediator between God and man? 
Jesus, who can sustain you when you feel like you've fallen and failed for the last time? Jesus, who can pull you from the brink of despair and hopelessness when your sin seems to be strangling the life out of you? Jesus, who can redeem your family and your loved ones and those that you think are too far gone to be saved? Jesus, y'all. That's who it is. That's who we preach. That's who we commend to you. Not just a better way to live, but a new life living on the inside of you through Jesus. If you hear nothing else, if you came because you, you heard that we were the diverse church, that our preaching was right, then you, you heard our worries. And if you came for Jesus, I pray that your soul is satisfied every week. Because you may not get that other stuff. We're going to have off Sundays on worship. Pastor Jake and I are going to have off Sundays in preaching. We're going to have less and more diverse days. If you came for all that other stuff, you are bound to be disappointed. But if you came for Jesus, you will leave fed every week, I promise you. But do we come for him? Are we here in our seats right now because of Jesus? Or this is just what we do on Sundays? Or I saw a good friend. Those are not bad things, but those will not sustain you, Christian. Because we're going to do things that you don't like. And if you were here because you liked it, then you just leave. Someone's going to hurt your feelings. So if you were here for them, you would just leave. Our music may change. So if you were here for that, you're just going to leave. Unless Jesus is why you are here. The path of faith and repentance, then suffering and sickness and sorrow and grief and death and depression may come, but it won't break you because you didn't come to God for that. You came to God for Jesus. And whatever comes along with the deal, you're okay with it. But that's the question. That's why people, people talk about people falling away or such and such. Used to be such a great Christian, but now they're back in the world. You don't lose your salvation, church. You prove to the world that you never had it. That's what 1 John says. Because if you know him, he will hold you fast. Does that sound familiar? It's him who will sustain you if you're here for him. Now, we all come to God for different reasons. I understand that. Maybe you were in the depths of despair and you needed a way out. That's okay. Maybe your mind was fracturing under the weight of anxiety and worry and depression, and you needed help, and that's all right. I'm not saying that that had to be where you started, but if along the way of getting God good things from him, you never got Jesus, then today is that day. God is good, y'all. Following him brings good things. But those good things aren't Jesus. And why is suffering so hard? Because it's hard. But also because even in the Christian life, our gaze slowly drifts away from Jesus. It slowly drifts towards good things, righteous things desirable things, and it slowly drifts, and all of a sudden, life gets hard around us, and we don't have anything to sustain us because those good things aren't good enough. If you think about some of the hardest things that you've ever been through in life, if you're a Christian, if you were to think, now you've come out the other side, it's probably you got a clearer image of who Jesus is. 
And that's why God does these things. That's why God sustains us through these things so that we would have a clearer image of who he is. Because as long as our eyes are fixed upon him, that will sustain us. But even in the Christian life, there is a seduction to just drift away from Jesus to a million other good things. From Jesus to a million other things that even God commands us to. But we substitute and we flip the order and the priority of Jesus and what Jesus has said. Of the logos, the the word of God incarnate in Jesus and the Bible. We flip the order and the priority of those things and we don't realize it until we run up against a brick wall and realize these things apart from Jesus can't sustain us. So as we walk through the book of Proverbs, and we're going to continue talking about what it means to for Jesus, the way that we follow Christ is different than the way we lived our lives before, and we have to let the Word of God expose those things and teach us those things. But before we went further, I thought the Lord just wanted to remind us, not the unbeliever, but us, of why we're here, of whose we are, and the great reward that's coming. If you want to go to heaven because you think there's going to be streets of gold and pearly gates, you are going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed because I don't know that's what's going to happen. People ask me all the time, what's heaven going to look like? I don't know, but Jesus is going to be there. So it don't matter. What makes hell bad? It's not the fire. It's the absence of the presence of God. So what if it was reversed? What if you could get heaven without God and get hell without fire? Would that be okay with you? If you could live your life your way, and at the end of it, hell was just nothing. It was streets of gold. It was mansions, just God wasn't there. Would that be enough? And maybe heaven was every good thing and every relative who's passed and every dog who's died and all the cake you can eat without gaining weight. Like, what if it was just good stuff for all eternity? But God wasn't there. Would that be enough? And I hope, I hope, and I hope I, I can answer this question to say, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. Because what could satisfy me for eternity? Not good things, only God. What would be hell? Not burning in a lake of fire, but God not being there, even if it was comfortable. May we reorder our hearts to the man, Jesus Christ, not to the propositions of the Bible, not to truth, not to good and righteous things, but would we reorder the priority of our hearts to the man, Jesus Christ? The application that I want you to walk away from is simply this. May your heart be full with the person of Jesus today. Would your hope for the future shift because Jesus is brighter in your mind right now than he was 20, 30 minutes ago? That's what I want you to leave and go do, is ponder Jesus.